Hello, fellow investigators. My guest today is Shane Hurd. He is an author of a new book called Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, a Beginner's Guide to Researching UFOs. Uh, it came out on May 31st of this year, and uh, it's available on Amazon. And this is, like I just told him two seconds ago, he's a man after my own heart uh, because he's written this book, which I think we could use a lot more of. Uh, there's been other books in the past about, you know, studying ufology, but some of them are outdated. Uh, there's a lot more information now. And this is why we need new authors to write books like this for us newbies, because uh, it helps us progress and helps us learn, too. So when we're out in the field, we have their knowledge. And it's all about cramming that database and learning as much as we can. So thank you so much for joining UAP Studies. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, and I'm I'm thrilled to do it. And and as you're alluding to, uh, you know, my goal is to just help educate people that are interested in this topic, and to see it from an investigative point of view. Because as we all know, UFOs there's sort of the pop culture side, there's a scientific side, and an investigative side, a research side. So it's it's a complex issue. So uh, I went through this process and. Um, there were definitely some pitfalls and some rabbit holes that I think people would be uh, benefited um, to not have to go through. And so I, I wanted to do something to help and go from, you know, point A to B as directly as possible. Which is great because, uh, I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast, regardless of where they live, uh, they get to learn how to do ufology through reading this content. Uh, or listening to podcasts like this is it's all about building their database and it doesn't matter if you're listening to this in India or Australia um, even Greenland these are all proven methods that so far the ufologists in the world have come up with and it's good to see that uh, people like yourself and you're actually uh, part of MUFON as well are you the state director or the assistant state director Yes, I am the assistant state director uh, for the state of Arizona, and uh, we also uh, have a chapter based in Phoenix, as well as one in um, Sedona and one in Sholo, and those are two cities in northern Arizona, and um, we keep very, very busy. <laughs> it's uh, Arizona is still a very good hotspot? Yeah, I would say that it is, and you know... the there's a variety of reasons for that, I suppose. I mean, certainly we have, you know, uh, predominantly clear skies, clear weather for the most most part uh, during the year. And, you know, people are outside taking advantage of this nice weather a lot. And so there's, you know, a lot of opportunity for people to be out and to see things. But I think there's more to it than that, simply. Um, there, There's a lot of activity and a variety of activity. Um, so in that in that respect, uh, yeah, it, it, I'd say it's a hot spot. Now, there's an event that took place on March 13th, 1997. Um, that changed things for you. Uh, the event was, of course, the, the Phoenix Lights, which is now known as the Phoenix Lights. Uh, for those that are not as old as we are and were born, you know, after 2000, they might not be familiar with the Phoenix Lights, do you want to explain that to them, like what took place on that yeah, day? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll have to just throw in a personal note on that. 
Um, I was here when it happened, uh, although I did not see anything. Um, however, uh, the subsequent press coverage, both local and even national, really caught my attention. And um, it, I already kind of had an interest in UFOs, but, you know, in the course of living your life and, you know, starting a family and having kids and trying to get on track with the career and all those sorts of things, plus the taboo that was associated with it, I really didn't pursue it uh, until the Phoenix Lights incident happened. And when it, when it occurred, it really struck me that, you know, it's fascinating that this kind of thing happens at all. But the fact that it happened in my own backyard, my own home city, really caught my attention. And, and that really set me on the path to begin researching it in earnest. And, and so that case um, involved um, multiple large boomerang or triangular shaped craft flying across the entire state from the northwest to the southeast. Uh, it looks like it originated somewhere around Las Vegas, outside of Las Vegas, um, and then tracked its way all the way down to Mexico. And these objects were um, huge. They were, you know, some reports said they were a mile across or a half a mile or a quarter mile across. Um, and it was seen by literally, I'll say they were seen literally by hundreds, if not thousands of people. Um, and I, what's interesting is um, I've seen where they, we have a map where they, logged every report, reports made to MUFON, to New Fork, to the police departments, um, you know, radio stations, TV stations, everything across the entire state. And by logging the, the date, time, and location of those reports, you could plot out the entire flight path of these objects. And I thought that was just a fascinating thing. In fact, for the state of Arizona, it really recognizes uh, this event as as a as a very real event. In fact, the um, Arizona History Museum has a display, and Mufan was had a hand in creating that display uh, in the museum of the Phoenix Lights incident. And so, um, there's you know like a, a you know murals on the wall that kind of explain everything. There's some video. There's a model of it. A variety of things. that's interactive. So. Um, it's really kind of satisfying to, to see it being treated in a respectful way. And in fact, it's known as one of the, the largest mass sightings ever, but certainly in our modern era. So it was a very significant case in that regard. And it was silent. That's the scary part. Oh, yeah. As big as it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what it was or what the exp explanation is for it. But I mean, uh, if these, you know, purported performance characteristics like, you know, their size, their silence, how low and slow they were uh, flying. Uh, I mean, it, it's just, it, hey, if it's our technology, geez, we're, uh, you know, we're 100 years ahead of where the, the public knows. Um, and if it's not ours, then wow, you know, great interesting technology for sure so it, it was uh you know slightly frightening and and humbling but you know just awe-inspiring as well it's uh, i think it was uh commander uh, jeremy pfeiffer the um fighter pilots with the tic-tac incident and he mentioned that if 
we had that technology. Let's say 1997, we had the technology to fly a massive, like, three football field wide craft low above a city without making a sound, without any propulsion, without any jet uh, engines, nothing. It, it literally did not give a flying, you know what, uh, flying across the state. And who, it didn't care if anybody saw it. It was just like checking things out, like what's going on here. And yeah, it was like you mentioned, witnessed by thousands of people. An interesting fact that I just learned about this. The first pilot to report uh, this object before it reached Phoenix was none other than uh, the actor Kurt Russell. That is crazy. And it was only like within the last year that that was made known. And he 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 actually spilled the beans on it um, in an interview, I think, in England or something. And um, but he said, I didn't realize I was that guy until my wife was, you know, or, um, you know, Goldie Hawn sitting there watching a uh, watching a UFO program. And when they described it and he was sitting there with her watching, he goes, oh, my gosh, I think that was me. And so, you know, he looked at his logs and flight logs and he, he had been bringing his son um, here to see his girlfriend. I think it was they were separated because of different colleges and 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 Kurt's a, a a pilot so he was flying his son over when it happened and yeah so like 20 years later or whatever 30 years later he's like whoa that was me <laughs> so i thought that was kind of comical but you know still a cool thing yeah so it's kind of um yeah so it's kind of um my story is you know after the phoenix lights incident i started paying attention to the topic a little bit and you know uh, cable television shows started coming out like UFO files and others that, you know, I started watching those a little bit. And then um, I really got serious about, quote, researching the topic um, in about 2010. And the first book that I happened to, uh, across was The uh, Day After Roswell by Bill Burns and Philip Corso. And I was already curious and developing an appetite for more information than the casual UFO program. Um, and when I first read that book, I, I, I was a little bit dubious and skeptical. Um, and I almost kind of quit there after reading that and thinking, you know, this isn't, this isn't, there's something not right here, but, um, I gave it another chance. And right at that time came, um, Leslie Kane's book, UFOs, Pilots, uh, generals and government officials go on the record. And I highly recommend this book for anyone getting into the topic. It's really one of the most professional and cogent discussions of the topic. And no doubt it's a credit to her training as an investigative journalist. And she also broke the Cometa report from France in 1999. So she kind of had a history of, of treating the the subject respectfully but when she did that book it just blew me away and i said okay there really is something to this and i need to look into it more and so then i followed that up with richard dolan's two powerful volumes of ufos in the national security state and so by the time i completed those then i knew hey there really is something to this i don't know what it is but there is some good factual information out there Although we all need to calibrate our BS meter because there is a lot of BS out there. But um, I was convinced in the reality of the phenomena. 
and that was something very unexplainable was happening before our very eyes. So at that point, I went, I ran with it. I read every book I could get my hands on and documentaries and all that. And finally got to a point where I said, you know, I have all this <clears throat> knowledge and I, I'm kind of tired of just being a consumer of UFO information. I, I want to do something with it. I want to play. I want to engage. I want to contribute. You know, that's just kind of the, the person I am. And so um, I started out a little bit on Facebook and kind of connecting with some people and then, you know, looking at ufology. And this is one of the reasons I wrote the book is that ufology, I almost think of it as a smorgasbord or, or a buffet. And it's so big and there are so many choices. You know, you could be into crop circles or you can be into consciousness or, you know, nuts and bolts UFOs or, you know, abductions and just, you know, cattle mutilation. There's just all these facets to it. And I thought, you know, you, you can't chase all that down and be good at, you know, all of it. Right. And so I thought to myself, I want to pick a lane that I think, um, you know, I would be good at and and that I could contribute in a meaningful way. And so I started looking around and I, 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 I noticed MUFON and I looked into MUFON. And, you know, I already I've had a, a 20 year career in, in government as it is. And I've worked for large corporations and and, you know, I thrive in a, you know, structured, you know, project driven kind of environment and um, my, my fields of, of discipline are, are um, geographic information systems and other information technologies and civil engineering. That's really what my career has been been about. And I'm, so I'm a facts and kind of scientific, you know, um, kind of guy. And, and th those things I, I click with and I understand and you know, support and believe in those things. So when I, I looked around ufology and, you know, who could I hook up with here and, and you know, to do more, and I, I chose MUFON. So in 2015, I became, you know, a member. And then I did that for a year and a half or two and then progressed to, you know, wanting to become a field investigator. And so since 2017, I've been an investigator. I've maybe done between 80 and 100 cases. Um, and then I was recently this year appointed assistant director. So it's been really great for, for me. Um, and, you know, it's it's a way I can really contribute and participate. And I've got to meet, you know, terrific, awesome people, um, you know, all the big names in the in the business, so to speak. And and then and and then just, you know, people who fellow people who have that interest and and it's really exciting and it's so interesting. It's I feel like almost like an explorer, you know, and you're trying to discover what's around that bend. And and, you know, UFOs really provides that they're they're ubiquitous on the one hand, but man, they're so stealthy on the other. It's it's quite a enigma, really. And it, it, it if if you are a person who needs to needs closure and resolution of a topic after your effort into it, this may not be for you because the bottom line is people have been looking to this for 75 years in earnest and we still don't know the, the answer yet. However, I will say what has happened in the last two, three years, and again, the reason I wrote the book is we are in a very special time where information about UFOs is becoming more available and, you know, this whole 
concept of disclosure or confirmation, whatever term you want to give it, um, is really happening before our very eyes in earnest. And, you know, I'm thrilled to be involved with this right now. And, and I encourage anyone that has the slightest interest, you know, hop on board now because the ride is going to get really interesting and quick. So, um, and we can talk more about the TTSA and, and what happened here in, in 2017 that, that I'll, that's really changed the ufology landscape um, with these this, this information. Um, I, I kind of explain it this way is that um, all we really have is, is evidence, right? I mean, you know, we have theories and we have ideas and, you know, some people are really confident in what they think is going on and all these things. But all of that aside, in the end, you have to have data, you have to have facts. And, and when you apply the scientific method, which is, is essentially a, an iterative process where you, where you, you know, make an observation and then based on that observation, you develop a theory. You say, I think it's this or this is going to happen next. You continue to make observations. And then if possible, you, you conduct an experiment to try and replicate that observation. And then whether that passes or fails, then you make, you know, you revise your theory and you just, you keep going through this process till, till the end when you can identify it. And I, I always say that, look, there's, it's like the five W's. There's uh, the what, the where, and the when. And if, if we research that and investigate that, that is where the data lives. That, that is measurable stuff, right? A date, a time, a location, and, and you know, what occurred. You can, you can, and you can, like you were saying earlier, this, you put this information into a database and then you can aggregate it, you can quantify it, you can qualify it, and um, it becomes the basis for a true scientific methodology for studying this phenomena. And I think we do that enough, and we get enough true scientists in on this, which is beginning to happen, then um, I think the who, the what, and the where will eventually lead to the who and the why. Um, and the, they'll either be, it'll be self-evident, like, okay, this you know, this is aliens, or this is us from the future, or this is our own technology, whatever that is, will either become self-evidence, or there'll be some kind of revelation, and, and whomever that is will step up and reveal themselves. So, um, but all we're left with, I mean, all we can do in the meantime is investigate the evidence and, and the data, and compile it, and aggregate it, qualify and quantify it. And that in itself is, is valuable. However, like I was mentioning earlier, if, if you personally need that to result in an identification immediately, you're going to be frustrated because we just don't know yet. I mean, we're sniffing around it pretty good right now, and there's some good indicators. And I think if you, you're hearing what's being said out there now, like on, on the program, unidentified and with TTSA and and, and now governments, the Navy and the DOD, they're, they're acknowledging, yeah, this is a real phenomena. And um, with that, we, we, we understand there are certain characteristics that these objects have. And, you know, they're, they're at attacking it from a military in intelligence and investigative standpoint. And that, that is really encouraging for, for us in, in ufology to see that, you know, this is where we're making some meaningful steps forward. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's just uh, it, it's a great time to be involved with this right now. Yeah, and like you mentioned, if it's something that you've you know always been a UFO couch potato investigator, but you actually want to get out there, get moving, become part of Absolutely. this. Not necessarily saying you have to join MUFON, but just becoming an active, even if you want to be an independent uh, sure. investigator. It's important that you feel that then you're contributing to ufology, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's room for everybody, let me just say, right? You don't have to fit in a, you know, it's not like square peg round whole thing there there's opportunity for everyone and that's one of the things i learned and and if you go to facebook and start linking up with people who are interested in this topic that's that really helped me and advanced me forward and any of your listeners you know please i will help you in any way you want you can ping me you can reach me on facebook you can email me you you can even call me i i mean i will assist because to me right now you know, I'm I'm almost 60. I'll be 60 my next birthday. And the the majority of the field, a lot of those folks are older than I am, and they're beyond retirement age. And, you know, we need younger generations coming up to, to carry this on and, and, and to take this on. And, um, and what better time because there is some real meaningful information being released. So I, that's what I want to do. And again, a purpose of my book is to encourage now that the taboo has kind of waned, you can have this conversation and not get ridiculed. You know, the media is treating it with respect. Now you have all these military members who, again, were afraid to report and for good reason, because they would be penalized. Now that is being lifted. Um, and so all of that makes it an environment where, you know, it is a good time to get involved. Yes, and it doesn't matter your location, your race, your religion, wherever you are, you can investigate and do what you can from your location. And that's the whole point of this podcast and even the book that you've written is that it's possible. The individual can actually take part of this. There is some things that we have to follow. Like you mentioned in your PowerPoint when I was reading, you mentioned the scientific method requires intelligence, imagination, and an open mind. And I thought that was brilliant um, because that's really what it takes. It takes a certain individual that, that is determined enough but has these yeah. qualities to want to participate in this because you can't, you know, it's not something you can right. half-ass, right, uh, with the expression, sorry, but... That's exactly it. You can't do that. You can't cut corners. And if you do, yep. uh, your reputation is shot. And just to mention out there for the ladies, too, uh, some of the best ufologists oh, yeah. have been women. So it's it's all inclusive. This subject is is for anybody and everybody because it's not about politics. Mm -hmm. It's not about religion. This is about us paying attention. Absolutely. That's it. Um, and, and it's encouraging to hear your story as well, uh, Shane, because it sort of reflects mm -hmm. a lot of other people's like wanting to become more active, wanting to take part of this. That's, that's, that's great. And this is go time too. So for anybody who's interested, this is yeah. go time. This is the time to do it. Uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, something I mentioned in your book, Shane, uh, it was the subject of wheat and chaff of ufology. Uh, 
you want to explain a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. So what I alluded to earlier when I had read, for example, um, the the um, day after Roswell, I you know I I thought some of the information was certainly credible, and then I, I thought some of it wasn't. And what you quickly learn when you do dip your toe in ufology is there's there's a lot of nonsense out there. There is there's like I said there's a pop culture side and it's kind of fun and interesting and scary and aliens and things like that. But um, I mean, if you're going to get serious about this, you kind of have to uh, put that part of it away. I mean, I still, I can laugh and joke about it. I, I still enjoy movies and things like that. But um, when I put on my investigator hat, I really, um, the first thing I do is I try, and we all have bias, but I try and set my biases aside and be as neutral as possible. So I kind of like to explain it this way. I I spent a lot of my life in in a religious organization and you know and it's all based on belief and and you know I'm no longer part of any religious organization and not necessarily related to ufology but when I did step out of that box I kind of opened my mind a little bit about how we we have beliefs that can um create bias and and we don't even realize it and so and the problem is and i don't just mean a religious context any context whatsoever we all have biases but you have to set that aside because it, what can happen is you can look at it, uh, a certain piece of evidence and you think you already know the answer because of your belief or bias when in reality you do not know that and moreover if i as an investigator are um I am serving the person who has made a report. I am offering them my expertise to help them resolve an issue, you know, aciding some something that happened to them. And I take that extremely seriously because as I say, I think UFOs is really it's it's as much about people, human beings, as it is anything else. It's you know, it's our reaction to it. And so you know, people are the most important thing. And, and that being the case, you know, people should be treated with dignity and with respect. And I should apply my skills in as neutral a way as possible to help make an identification of what it is that they've seen. And so you, you can't have bias or belief on the one side. Uh, you can't be like a true believer in everything out there as a UFO. But on the other side, you can't be so skeptical that you're a debunker and, and in your heart of hearts, you think there is no such thing. You know, everything can be debunked with enough effort. You know, that those two polar opposites are a deal killer for an investigator. You can't do that. You have to be in the middle and you have to be able to put on that investigator hat and be neutral and take the evidence uh, for what it is. Don't make it fit some narrative that you might have either consciously or subconsciously. You follow the data. And so to me, that's just absolutely critical. That's some great advice. And I like what you said about UFOs is much about humanity, about us, as it is about the object. I was curious because you living in Phoenix and having had that impact, what was it like with the population of Phoenix after this event, the, the 1997 sighting, 
What was it like for people? Because that was a group, like a very large group of people that saw this. Really an interesting um, perspective on people and the public and, you know, our reaction to things. So, you know, some people think, oh, disclosure will freak everybody out, you know, and then there's other camps that say, no, people will just take it in stride. And I suspect it's somewhere in the middle. There'll be a little freak out and then people will, you know, take it in stride. That's what we do as humans. We're so adaptable. But um, in the case of that, yeah, um, it was it was treated with derision and sneering out of one corner of the media's mouth. But it was also treated with a little bit of fear and respect out, out the other corner of their mouth. And, um, you know, the general public, there were uh, a lot of people who had seen this thing and were very insulted by the governor at the time, uh, Five Symington, who uh, paraded out a, a aide of his dressed in an alien outfit and in a press conference and said, we found the culprit, you know, and people were really upset by that because it, it, it made fun of or minimized what they saw is a very serious thing. And so um, I know there was a council person for City of Phoenix. Her name was Frances Emma Barwood. And she was the only council person who took it serious. And um, she ended up losing her seat over the issue. But during the course of the time that she was able to, um, you know, investigate this, she talked to over 800 people personally um, who had seen these things. And um, so there was, there was, you know, a, a two camps, you know, very supportive and then and then others who, who didn't accept it at all. So, and I think that's just fairly reflective of society, especially at the time. Yeah, it's really now where larger percentages of the public, um, you know, today, even just 10, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, didn't really have this, this high a percentage of belief that there is life elsewhere in the universe and that people believe that UFOs are in fact real. And so I think this is a, a reflection of a couple things. One, uh, from NASA and the scientific perspective, we started identifying exoplanets. And prior to that time, not even scientists would admit or uh, that they thought there was life elsewhere in the universe. But after you know identifying thousands of these planets, then it, it became acceptable from a scientific perspective to accept the possibility of life elsewhere. And then I think that trickles down to the population in general. And then I think maybe like, um, you know, Ancient Aliens, for example, that program has been on on for, you know, over a decade. And it just challenges, you know, the conventional thinking on, on issues. And I think our society is becoming more and more diverse. It was a very solid Christian, uh, you know, nation. And you know, in the 40s and 50s, and it permeated all of society. But, you know, as we become more diverse, you know, uh, those people bring in their religions and, and it sort of waters down the stranglehold of, of any one over the other. And so, again, just what I'm illustrating, I think, is, you know, with time and more information, the Internet, television, whatever, people are more accepting of other ideas where in the past it was you think this way or else, buddy, you know. And so I think all of those things have contributed to the, to the situation that we're in now. And, and that basically is, is that people are accepting of the possibility and they're less afraid to talk about it. And moreover, 
officialdom is also now, um, you know, crediting uh, this phenomena as a reality. And so I think we're, we're not even where we're yet to go. I think we're in the beginning stages of this, but I think in, in the coming months and years, this is going to get bigger and bigger and will be um, a very public uh, opinion that, that UFOs are real. I think with all the fakes that are out there, there is going to be at some point some irrefutable proof of something captured mm -hmm. that cannot be dismissed as a fake. And the reason is my car has two cameras. I have a camera on my person at all times, a.k.a. my cell phone. There is cameras people have outside their doors. So like even as an investigator, somebody says, hey, there's a UFO above my house. You go across the street. Maybe they have a camera set up. Maybe they caught something. I mean, it's a matter of time before either an investigator gets his or her hands on something concrete or somebody submits it. Somebody who was actually captured it, maybe multi-angles, doesn't matter. Uh, it will be hard for people to disprove this. And I think it's to the point where you can't really hide it anymore because it's not just, hey, I saw a UFO fly above my car. Now it's like, check it out. A UFO flew above my car. Uh, and that, yeah. that changes things, yeah. right? It's not. It's no longer like, do you believe me? It's, yeah, that's, that's a good that. point. And I, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, uh, we have to be balanced in our view because today with the – you know, avail availability of computer software. We know that uh, hoaxed videos and photos are pretty easy to do. I mean, you can even do these on your cell phone and they look fairly convincing. However, what I will say is with a little bit of scientific scrutiny, you can expose those. That's, and you know, we do that as part of our MUFON investigative process as we vet, you know, photos and videos to assure that they're not false. Um, but I do think this, that no single form of evidence will be considered proof, um, but it's a combination of evidence. So, for example, and I truly believe a video or photo is going to be part of the package of evidence that will be considered proof when it does happen. But it will have to occur with some other things like, you know, the eyewitness testimony and the credibility of that eyewitness and and sort of the circumstances by which this information is coming forward. And of course, there's always the big one. If they land on the White House lawn, then then that's, you know, that's going to be indisputable. So um, it's, it's a combination of things. And, you know, the devil's always in the details. But I agree with you when when it comes down to it, it it's going to be um, photo and video that that is a big part of blowing this thing wide open. Yeah, even people in the bush now, uh, hunters or people that are doing, you know, BMX or bikes, anybody, they all have GoPros and usually they're mounted to their heads. So wherever, wherever they're looking at, it will be captured. So if they're out, you know, and about and you see something in a remote location where people aren't usually about, oh, now it's yeah. captured. So like I said, the cameras are everywhere now. It's just a matter of time. We just got to wait it out. I don't think it's going to be the government releasing video or any tangible proof, but it'll be somebody who captured something that's submitted either to the news media or maybe to a UFO research group. 
it's a matter of time, but that's why you want to get out there because maybe you'll be in your area. Maybe you'll be the person who helps that person, you know, out with that video and that proof, uh, which is really good. Um, and also the belief in UFO now is irrelevant because it's not, do you believe in L- in UFOs? Now it's, did you hear about the UFOs? Because it's yes. now a fact, right? It's gone from yeah. belief to fact, which I, I think is really good. And as a ufologist yourself, having followed this, uh, what are your feelings on Like, do you feel vindicated or are you just happy that more people are accepting it? Uh, I'd say a little of both. I mean, you can't help but feel uh, vindicated because I mean, ufologists have been seeing for 70 years, government, you are, well, let me say since 1969, since uh, Project Blue Book was closed. But in reality, they weren't, you know, invest truly investigating cases. But uh, that being said, you know, that has been the, the um, position governments have taken is, you know, they're not real and we're not interested. They don't pose a threat, you know you know, move along folks. There's nothing to see here. Kind of a thing when it went and ufologists the whole time and saying, no, that's not true. Look at this document, look at this evidence. And, and just common sense tells you, you don't stick your head in the sand uh, on something that could potentially be a threat, let's say. So, um, so it was really satisfying when, when the TTSA came out and they revealed the ATIP program, which was the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program uh, through the Department of Defense, and it was funded between 2007 and 2012. Uh, Senator Harry Reid was one of the three senators who got that thing going. So there's documented proof. There is plenty of uh, testimony, official confirmation from the DOD and from the Navy as well. So on that side, yeah, you're a little vindicated because you're saying, I've been saying it for 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, you know, and now it finally comes true. However, that's not what's meaningful. What's really meaningful is that um, it has has been made available to the public and the public, all of us, all of us together, whether we're investigators or not, we now know that this phenomena is real. And I mean, it's one of the fundamental questions of being a human being, right? We all sit here and think, you know, are we alone? You know, why are we here? What what does the future hold for us? And all these things, these are fundamental to being a human being. And this is why earlier I had said, this is, it's, this is really about people and our reaction to it and our government's reaction to it. And I, I've got a chapter in my book that you know, it's a little bit heady. Um, it, it's based on um, Alexander Went um, and um, uh, Duval. Went Duval wrote this paper called UFOs and Sovereignty. And it took a political science view of ufology. These guys weren't ufologists. These were academicians. And, and they wrote this paper. And it was one of the most fascinating papers I've ever read. I highly recommend you do it. It will change your view uh, of UFOs and the government's reactions to it. But all said and done at the end, I'll say this. One one kind of conclusion you get from it is when when you – for those that believe UFOs are, are a threat, there's kind of like it's, – it's two or threefold. From a government perspective, we're all aware of, of like the military and intelligence who view it as a 
intelligence or military threat. You know, this this technology is so superior, they could wipe us off the face of the earth and we can do a darn thing about it. And you know what? That's their job. That's how they think. We want them to think that way. We want them to do their job in that way. I have no criticism of that at all. Same with an intelligence perspective. Um, however, one of the things that doesn't get talked out of uh, about a lot is what would it mean to our nation state global governmental system if you had a far superior race come in make themselves known and uh you know want want to be present here on earth well who are people gonna follow the failed nation states that we have that can't even take care of its own people we have starving people there's constant war and all these, we know all the negative things, right? You know, abuse of the planet, pollution and energy and all that. Or somebody that can come in and say, hey, we can solve all those problems for you, no sweat. Well, that is the fundamental threat to the governments of this world, is their sovereignty would be endangered by the presence of a superior race. And so that doesn't get talked out uh, talked about a lot, but I think it's it's really the the most fundamental driver behind the government's response, which has largely been you know ignoring it and and minimizing it and all those things because they can't really do anything about it. Those pesky UFOs keep showing up no matter how bad they don't want them to. So, you know, it's a really interesting take on it. And again, I highly recommend you can get that you know off the internet and and read that paper. But I mean, it's a little difficult. They're two professors and they're obviously brilliant people. And it's a topic maybe most of us aren't used to thinking about, but it's really a great point that they make. That is a great recommendation. I'll make sure to go look uh, for that right away. Actually, I've never heard of it. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Let me look into that. Uh, you talked also about the political science of ufology. Uh, and I'm curious about that. What 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 is your angle on the political science of ufology? Yeah, I think that's mostly what I've been talking about with Alexander Went and Raymond Duvall, and um, you know, in addition to that, that uh, there are when there are human beings, there are politics, right? And I mean, there are politics between you and I right now, right? Politics is really just a an expression of how we interact and the issues that concern us and our response to those issues. And so ufology is no different. There, there is multiple political science um, issues at play. So for example, the one we've already been talking about is disclosure. That's a big deal to people that, that, you know, the, the fear that the government is hoarding information that we should all know about and that we're being denied, you know, that that's a big political, you know, can of worms in itself. But there's other things like, you know, what about people who have had experiences um, either as contactees or abductees? And th their perspective is entirely different than someone like me who's not ever had an experience. I, you know, I can't even say that I've really seen a UFO myself. So um, my perspective is and my politics are going to be different. Um, there's a politics of investigation. There's a politics of, of um, the media side to it. 
so there, there are just multiple issues at play. And that's another reason why I wrote this book is to help a, a person coming in. And this is a thing that I had to learn. It took a couple of years because some of it was out of left field. Like I'm all happy and, oh, this is so cool. And I'm talking about UFOs. And then somebody comes along and slams it and says, you know, that's bunk and this and that. And I'm like, whoa, I'm caught off guard by that. But now, obviously, with enough time and experience, I understand, you know, the, the, those different politics. And so um, hopefully this is will prepare people that when they do dip their toe into this this topic, that they'll they'll be aware at least of, you know, some of the politics involved. And, and again, you know, politics has a negative side and a positive side. And, and again, it's the same is, is true with ufology. And I just, my, my opinion is, look, you, you have to deal with it. It's what we as human beings are. We are political and, you know, you just got to be aware of what the issues are, learn how to deal with those issues. You can have your own opinion, you know, be in your own camp. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, be respectful of others and their opinions and viewpoints as well. And I think that diversity of thought and opinion and experience and background and all those perspectives is valuable. It's just we have to be civilized and, and you know, mature in, in our disagreeing with one another because we don't want to dismiss somebody's point of view because it, in fact, may be right and ours may be wrong. You know, anybody that walks around thumping their chest saying, hey, I know this and I know that, I'm sorry, run, because nobody knows a darn thing. We are all in the dark on this. Yeah, there's certain facts that we're aware of and know of, of course, but as far as big picture and who and what and why, uh, you know what, nobody's got a lock on that yet. So, you know, I would say be careful with that. I think the scariest scenario that could possibly happen is that we find out that you know these entities are real that the government can confirm that they have knowledge that they're real but there's no big revealing moment that they just carry on doing what they've always done and we can't do a single thing about it and when you throw in all the other stuff like the crop circles uh, alien abductions the you can't throw it out now as you can't dismiss it because if UFOs are real, anything else that is UFO related could be tangible, could be all part of it. Uh, and that's what I think some people that have had vindication lately because of this reveal has helped people like even on the new show uh, on Solved Mysteries, people to come forward and say, yes, this did take place in the 1960s. Yes, I did have this experience. Because now they're not as scared anymore to lose their job, lose their home, to be mocked, ridiculed. There's no money gains for these people. And they put themselves out there because they had an experience that they think everybody should be aware of culturally, consciously. And I think now it gives more validity to investigate even those aspects of ufology. Such as I had Chuck uh, Zakowski as my last guest, and he's a cattle mutilation expert. And he was just, you know, mentioning all these, you know, processes that he goes through. And I don't know if I'll ever get a cattle mutilation case. But if I do, I could listen to that, you know, podcast again, listen to what he had to say about what should I do. Uh, and I think this is the stuff that we need our, at our disposal as ufologists, just the advice, the connectivity. And like you mentioned, the whole community is really embrace of if you're new, they'll just like my 
reaction so far has been, holy crap, I didn't think everybody would be this friendly or this accepting of me right away. And it, it was, the, yeah, it just, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, man, everybody's so awesome in this field. That's so cool. But we, we all have the same interests. So I think that's, that's a beautiful thing because it puts every other human problem and human crap that we bring into everything and it pushes it out because we have a center of focus and it's not worshiping a deity. It's not a political view. It's nothing that's going to divide us. It actually unites us and saying, we're probably really dumb. And really at the bottom of the totem pole of intelligence, when it comes down to the galactic scale. And I think we need to take that humble pill and understand that there's certain things about our species that makes us inadequate for certain things. Uh, you know, collectively, because we are a pack creature, we, we are sociable, uh, our standing always affects that. So if you have an experience, you don't want to mention it because now your standing in society's dropped. But we're getting out of that. Now we're more embraceive than ever with the LGBT movement, the Meet Too movement. Like people are a lot more outspoken and open. And we can finally have that discussion. Like people like you and I, could be on a podcast and talk about this the way we should with the seriousness that it deserves. I was going to say, that's an awesome take. Yeah, you made a couple of really great points. I like the, the, the first point about now that it's proven that they're real, everything else associated with it now becomes possible. You know, think about that, you know, all the abduction cases and the contact cases and, and, you know, the crop circles and all these other things, all of a sudden, became in a in a moment became a lot more likely realistic and possible and, and that's one of the things i like to say is I, you know my viewpoint i i criticize belief in the the to the extent that if it's if it's misused if people put belief above proof then then it's negative but um to me i want to i don't want to be a believer in anything i want to be a knower <laughs> and that's why me as an investigator, I, I, I set aside the bias of belief and just follow those facts. And, and at the end of an investigation, there are facts that I do know. What they add up to is never, ever, ever clear, right? We, we, we're still waiting for that big picture. But uh, in the end, you know, you can have confidence in, in that kind of level of data that's been proven out and teased out. And it does make give indications as to the bigger picture. So, I mean, we're hammering away at that. And, and so that's, that's really cool. And then the other thing you mentioned about, you know, the, the diversity of, uh, of it all and how that opens everyone's mind. And, you know, there's kind of a contingent of people in ufology that focus on consciousness and, and, you know, in all honesty, I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy, you know, what's that machine in the air flying? I got to find out, you know, that's, kind of my motivation but i do understand other folks and how they're, they're thinking further ahead and you know thinking about you know what what effect this has on the human consciousness and in, in, in our mind or vice versa are we you know are we causing does our consciousness cause something related to this and so you know i just don't think anyone can be dismissive um and of course, there's certain things that are, you know, not, not sensible. I mean, we can't be so gullible that we don't question, you know, the obvious, but, um, you know, it, it really does open up 
everyone's perspective and considering what can be, what is possible. And I think much more is possible than we've ever imagined. And that's sort of a Western culture thing. And, you know, we are science driven and fact driven. And the, the problem is, is we only know so much. And there are things we don't know. There are things we know we don't know. And then there's things that we don't even know that we don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's like I said, it's it's so fascinating. This is why I find it just so fun, uh, you know, to consider the possibilities and yet be very practical in a very practical, fact-driven way uh, to also consider the topic. I always say that humans are arrogantly ignorant, that we dismiss things or just arrogantly don't pay attention to things. And it's true because like you mentioned, if you go back a thousand years and what they thought the world was like and what they knew at the time, we're no different now. It's not like we reached the apex of our scientific awakening. We're just at the beginning. And I think that's fascinating that um, we've gotten to this point, but not to get cocky because uh, these things are probably way much more advanced than we are, and it puts things in perspective. Now, one, one thing that you mentioned earlier that I want to touch up on, you said that you grew up in a very more strict Christian background. Uh, I was also part of the church for um, 18 years, and I you know, was the guy that was on stage with the guitar singing the songs, and I walked, I walked away, and I walked away and gave more thought to ufology since it, it has always been on my mind since the age of 14. Um, I've been obsessed with it. And I thought, you know what, at least there there's evidence. Like I have video evidence uh, or testimony evidence. And in Christianity, it revolves around me because it's always about me. I deserve, I should relationship with me, with the God or the deity. And that's why I love about ufology that has nothing to do with our human crap. No politics, no religion. It's about something that is bigger than us. And I think that is refreshing in this day and age. Yep, that that definitely ha has an appeal to, to so many different people. And like you were saying earlier, the diversity, male, female, young, old, you know. Yeah, and in closing, Shane, I, I want to pick your brain about what what advice would you give to new field investigators? Like, what do you think are the few gadgets, just maybe name three, that you think is crucial for the investigator to uh, invest in or to have at their disposal? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the first and foremost, the most powerful investigative tool that you have is the internet. It is information sources. And this is part of it. This is really, you know, an intelligence effort. And you have to gather as much information as possible. So that's one thing. And, and, and I'll say there's, I probably use about 20, 25 different um, investigative uh, tools uh, related to uh, an investigation. Things like, um, you know, an EXIF data viewer. This is, you know, every, every digital camera or video, there are hundreds of data points behind every picture. And you don't get to see it you are, unless you you know how to do this. And you can, you can find information on there like, 
somebody sends us a video or a photo, I can tell you what camera it was, what the f-stop was, what the zoom was, what the date, what the time was, uh, the GPS coordinates and location and blah, blah, blah. Like I say, about 200 data sets and something like that. So that's extremely valuable and helps you to, you know, vet the credibility of a photo or video. Uh, we use the, the visual flight rules map that pilots use to identify, you know, features that are on the ground that could, could give you uh, an indication of what a sighting might have been. For example, down here in the state of Arizona, we have a large uh, border patrol agency along with the Mexican border. And there are tons of, uh, you know, uh, surveillance balloons, for example, that, you know, they're tethered and they're 10,000 feet up and they sit there and, and, and you know, view the border uh, 24-7. Well, you know, these these things are called out on the visual flight rules map so pilots don't hit them. Things like that or huge solar plants and, you know, they have these big reflective mirrors and sometimes people flying over will see that reflection and and they're like in a round pattern on the ground, all these, these, um, you know, mirrors. And it, it, it's a strange looking thing. Again, I can go to visual flight rules map. I know what your flight number was. You told me your flight, the date, the time, the location. I can trace that path. I can see what you flew over. Oh, bam. There's, you know, Ivanhoe, uh, you know, uh, solar generating plant or whatever, or, you know, uh, there, there's just a ton of applications, you know, weather data you, you have to look into and what was the temperature, and, you know, what was the cloud ceiling and, you know, the humidity and the pressure and, you know, all these things can contribute to um, helping identify something that, that people had seen. And so these are very powerful tools. Now, when you get into the field and you have a, a, a case that has physical evidence, then yeah, there are definitely some fundamental instruments that you want to have. One is like a trimeter. And you see both some of the paranormal folks use these as well. Uh, but it, it measures, you know, the a magnetic field or electromagnetic field or microwave field. And so if there's any kind of residue like that, you can pick up on that. Uh, so that's an important tool to have. A Geiger counter, um, again, just to uh, measure the ambient radiation in an area or you know if it's if it's heightened because of something that happened with the sighting so again that's that's a powerful tool of course your camera and a um you know and the ability to record video and audio you know when you interview people if you can that that's you know powerful because we know you know 70 percent of communication is nonverbal, right so i mean these are just kind of tools of the trade and things that you, you know, can take advantage of to help you make an identification. And I will say that people will squabble a little bit about the percentage, but I don't care, you know, a couple percent either way. But I'll say like 85% of cases submitted and investigated are end up being identified as, you know, something either astronomical, like a planet or meteorological or, um, you know, some natural phenomena or man-made stuff, you know, aircraft and satellites and things like that. And it isn't debunkery. It isn't, you know, like Project Blue Book where they just tried to excuse everything away. No, you can legitimately identify those things. Um, there's a lot of camera art artifacts and digital cameras and, and video um, recorders are very, very 
complex instruments and they behave in a way and use physics that, you know, most people just aren't aware of. And, and then, and they behave a certain way under certain conditions. And so there's things like lens flares. If you point a camera at a light source and you take a picture, majority of the time you're going to get a lens flare in it. You've probably seen them like on YouTube, they're, they're like purple or pink or blue and, and they might be conical shape and they're, they, you know, they look strange and, you know, like, oh, what is that? But, you know, or like a green dot, that's another common one or a blue dot and it kind of moves around. This is light reflecting inside the body of the camera and the way it, uh, the chip works, it, it, it jacks with that chip. So, I mean, they're just a lot of, you know, technical information out there that, that really does help you sort out the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Um, and, you know, the, these are things that you're trained to do. You know, in the case of MUFON, there's a manual. Um, it's a basis for the investigation. And then there's, uh, you know, supporting um, publications like Admissible is a, a, a book that was written by Chase Klotsky and Richard Dolan that talks about how to handle evidence in a, in a credible way. Um, and then, you know, you're paired up with an experienced investigator and you're mentored for, you know, a number of cases or a period of time until, you know, you, you get the skill set to, to handle them yourself. Plus, you're never alone. You have a, a, you know, a chief investigator that helps you and the director or assistant director uh, helps other investigators. I train other investigators. And, and so all of those things, um, you know, are part of a, a process. And, and like I say, I know, you know, some people will say, well, you know, MUFON's not really scientifically oriented. And I mean, it's it's all a, a relative and a, a matter of degree. You know, I am not a scientist and I don't claim to be a scientist. However, I'm not an idiot and I can I can look and see what the scientific method is and I can understand the principles and I can apply them to the extent that I am able in 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 the discipline of investigating UFOs. And Anyone can do that. So, um, you know, don't be discouraged. You don't have to be a PhD or, you know, you, you don't have to be, you know, a scientist or a military or law enforcement. You can learn these techniques and you, you know, the, the biggest factor is you got to care and you got to engage. If, if, if somebody has that level of interest and they are willing to volunteer, learn these things and do them, that, hey, that's way more valuable than a scientist who won't touch the topic with a 10-foot pole, right? You know, you, you got to have boots on the ground. You got to do the work. And uh, if that's who's going to do the work, then fine. And we've been given the tools to get it done. And, and however, I will readily admit, what we, but we need help. We need a higher level of, of expertise, um, you know, to move this forward. And I'm, I'm very glad to say that the scientific community is taking this more serious. There are very credible people doing some very credible work on some very credible cases. So whether it's physicists or chemical uh, engineers or mathematicians and, and everything in between, more and more people are participating. And when they do and they apply their scientific expertise to it, it's going to elevate the issue. I don't think it's going to bring it down. I think it's going to elevate it. We're going to, we're going to get the level of proof that all people will accept. That, that's my belief. But it, it will have to come through 
a greater, more rigorous scientific uh, engagement. Yes, and more cultures getting involved in ufology because it's predominantly white right now. And that has been brought up in an article that I'd read that there wasn't many African-Americans or um, people of Latino uh, descendants where they are interested in um, ufology as much as it seems to be Caucasians. But that's what I want to see the spread. I want to see everybody globally, even if they don't speak the language, to get involved. This is, I think, the most serious topic of all time. And if the news is missing out on it right now, they're the ones who are going to look back and regret. This is the most important event in humanity is the um, cultural acceptance and awareness of the situation. And that's why I start the podcast with, are you paying attention uh, in this, the, the main intro? Because that's exactly where we're at in life is, are we paying attention? Yeah. Well put, um, well put. Because we're, we're, you know, the, the world's kind of crazy right now. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> uh, Shane, one last question before I let you go. One more question. Where would you like to see ufology be in about five years? Well, I, I'd love, I would love that we are looking at it from a historical perspective, uh, that the need to, to investigate and study because uh, it's been revealed to us. And that's what I'm hoping that in five years from now, we, we absolutely know all the answers and um, that we have engaged in a, we have transitioned from, you know, investigating and trying to find out, is it real to, uh, Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, you know, let's, let's have a peaceable relationship. I mean, that would be very cool. I think. That'd be awesome. Shane, I hope that I get to meet you in person. One of these days when this virus is gone and, and uh, conventions start again, I hope to meet you in person. It's been awesome to talk to you today. So thank you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Yes. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jason. I mean, this has just been terrific and fun, and and I I can't talk too much about this subject. It's my one of my favorite interests and things to do. And and again, I I just really hope that my experience and that I can share that with people, and that it will get them interested, and that they will, um, you know that hopefully my book will have given them the tools to get involved in a way that uh, keeps them motivated and interested and, and that they become the next generation uh, of researchers because I think we desperately need it. And the more information that comes out, the more of us that are involved in a very diverse way is vital, important, and, and will be awesome. So people out there, the book is called Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, A Beginner's Guide to Researching UFOs. And that's by my guest, Shane Hurd. Uh, his book is available on Amazon. Is there other locations that people can find? It's available on a couple web websites that at least link to Amazon, uh, Open Minds TV, uh, Rogue Planet TV, and also on MUFON.com. Uh, That'll be coming up next month, actually. Um, uh, on the MUFON website. So 
but yep, Amazon's a place to go. <laughs> That's awesome. And you have now joined the ranks of authored ufologist. So congratulations. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's just been a thrill for me. Like I said, I, you know, just personally to, 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 to have gone from, you know, a casual interest to researching my butt off to become an investigator and now an author. It's like, well, I've done, I've done everything I've set out to do. And, you know, it's just been a real blessing and just, you know, so much fun. And, and I, I, I just, I'm thrilled. So thank you. And thank you for having me. And, and, um, you know, I, I wish you success too, Jason, in your, your efforts to, you know, move this, this wonderful topic forward.